We shall now turn to the chapter which we read together, 1 Kings chapter 19. And we shall read again verse 18. 1 Kings 19 verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Depression troubles many people. It's a terrible affliction. Some people, it seems almost naturally, have a tendency to look on the black side of everything. They're always sad, always discouraged. Life is a burden. They feel everything's against them. They're always in the doldrums. You ask them how they are, and you kind of groan waiting to hear what they're going to say. They're always complaining. Life is a burden. They feel that they're a failure. They feel everything's against them. They're always focusing on their own faults. They're always dark, dismal, depressed. There are other people, and they oscillate. One time, they're on the top of the wave, and the next time, they're down at the bottom of a trough. Highs and lows follow one another. And sometimes, the lows can be very low. And even although they have their high times, these lows can be very difficult indeed. Elijah was on a great high on Mount Carmel. There he saw God working mightily. He was able to get the 850 false prophets slain. He prayed to the Lord and the Three and a half years without rain came to an end. The famine was over. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and ran mightily before the chariot of Ahab all the way from Carmel to Jezreel. But now he's in despair here in chapter 19. The reformation that he hoped for didn't come. He belonged, it seemed, to a doomed minority. The queen who was so powerful had determined to execute him. What is he to do? 
as he sits down under his juniper tree in darkness, depression, and despair. He's praying to God that he be allowed to die. He doesn't want to continue with his work. But you notice the answer. There's an answer always to depression. And what is that answer? He's given a new vision of God. And if only you and I could focus upon the throne in heaven, upon the God who is almighty and gracious, holy, just, loving, and merciful. If only we could focus on God who is in control, on God who is working out his purposes, on God who is saving his people. If only we could see God, our depressions would disappear. We're depressed because we look inwardly. We look at ourselves and our faults and feelings. We look around us at our families, our churches, and there's so much to get us down. But if we would look up, if we would see the throne, if we see the, the one who's reigning in heaven, the one who has us 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal, the one who is gathering home as elect, the one whose purposes will certainly be fulfilled, if only we could see God, then we would rejoice. God reigna, let the earth be glad. Well, first of all, here tonight, we see a wicked woman. Jezebel is the most wicked woman in the Bible. She's the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of Sidon, the priest of Sidon, king and priest of Baal. She marries into Israel. And there is the queen. She's actively promoting idolatry, encouraging in every way that she can Baal worship. She was fanatical about it. She had 450 prophets of Baal who ate at her table. And 400 prophets of the groves, that's of the Asherah, the female Baal. So there she is, 850 idolatrous prophets at her table. They were paid by her. They were supported by her. They were encouraged by her. And she's stirring up her husband constantly. To depress and destroy the true religion and to promote the false religion and idolatry. She persecutes the prophets of the Lord, kills them. We're told about Obadiah, who hid a hundred prophets by 50 in a cave, 50 in one cave, 50 in another. Prophets who were in danger of being killed by Jezebel, and he hid them 
and provided them with food and with sustenance hidden in the caves. She's the dominant one in the marriage. Ahab seems quite weak in comparison to her. Ahab himself is described as the most wicked king of Israel, whom his wife stirred up to wickedness. She's a fanatical heathen woman. She hates God's people. She hates God and his saints. And the chapter begins, this chapter 19 begins with her being told by Ahab what Elijah had done. You remember how Elijah had come to King Ahab and told him that there would be no rain in Israel, but according to his word, the word of the Lord. And then Elijah went into hiding. And for three and a half years, there was no rain. And there was a sore famine in the land. And then Elijah appeared to Ahab and told Ahab to gather Israel together on Mount Carmel. And the prophets of Baal to gather them together too. And there there was a challenge. Two altars were set up. One altar to Baal. And the prophets of Baal were to cry to their God to provide fire to burn up the sacrifice that was offered on the altar. But although they cried all day and cut themselves with lances till the blood gushed out, there was none to answer because, of course, there is no Baal. He's just an idol, a figment of man's imagination, the religion of so many. And then you remember how Elijah restored the altar of the Lord, repaired it, placed the wood upon it, placed the bullock upon the wood, got them to pour 12 barrels of water on top of the sacrifice and the wood, filling the trench round about the altar till it was thoroughly drenched. There was no fire there. And then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Prayed to the God of heaven to send fire. And amazingly, the fire came from heaven. Burnt up the sacrifice. Burnt up the wood. Even burnt up the stones and the dust. And licked up the water in the trench. So that the Israelites cried out, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. Oh, what need we have for the fire to come from heaven today so that men and women would cry out, the Lord hears the God. The Lord hears the God. And then you remember how Elijah got them to lay hold of the prophets and slay them. And then he told Ahab, there is the sound of abundance of rain. Get ready and make your way back to your home. Get your chariot ready. Elijah went up to the top of the mountain and prayed. And after he'd prayed seven times, a cloud the size of a man's hand appeared in the west. The sound of abundance of rain. 
And Elijah, filled with the Holy Spirit, ran before Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now you would have thought when Ahab told his wife what had happened and the clear sign, the mighty miracle that showed that Jehovah is God and that Baal is useless and hopeless and unable to help, you would have thought that Jezebel would have been converted and would believe in Jehovah. But no way. She sends a message to Elijah. God do so to me and more also, if by tomorrow at this time, you be not like one of these prophets of Baal. You're going to be dead by tomorrow at this time. Doesn't matter what signs and wonders you show people. Doesn't matter the logic or the miracles. You can't convince the unconverted without the work of God's Holy Spirit. Think of Jesus going about performing mighty miracles. And what did the scribes and the Pharisees say about him? The only explanation they could give was that he was performing it by magic and by the devil. They would not believe in the testimony of the Holy Spirit, the Father working through Christ signifying that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, but they refused to believe. And so they crucified Christ. You can't convince people with miracles. I remember one day I was taking an assembly in Portree Church, in Portree School. And uh, after I was finished, a young fellow from... um, a Pentecostal charismatic background came up to me and said, you know, if you did a healing here, they would listen to you far more carefully and they would pay attention. If you performed a miracle, they'd be converted. How wrong he was. Here's a great miracle. And it didn't convert Ahab or Decibel. Jesus performed many miracles. It takes more than miracles to convert a person. How can you convert somebody who's dead in trespasses and sins? It needs the regenerating grace of God, the irresistible work of his Holy Spirit. That's what's required. Here's this wicked woman determined to destroy Elijah. Elijah, who has stood for God and stood for the truth, and is fighting for what is right, she is determined to put him to death. By tomorrow, at this time, you will be dead. She hates Jehovah. She hates the people of God. Just like so many fanatical Muslims today who hate Christians. And will do anything in their power to destroy them. How horrible false religion is. How hostile to God and the truth. So we have here then a wicked woman. But then secondly, a despairing prophet. 
He's had a great experience, a mountaintop experience. It was wonderful to see God answering his prayers. These mighty demonstrations of Jehovah's power, to see the fire coming down from heaven, burning up the sacrifice and the wood and even the stones and the dust and the water in the trench. It was wonderful to see the rain coming after three and a half years of famine. It was wonderful to be filled with the spirit running before King Ahab's chariot. But often, after a mountaintop experience, comes a trough. There was a huge emotional strain in that. And after the emotional strain, there can be weakness. I have found in my own experience that my most vulnerable time is on a Monday when I'm emotionally tired after pouring out my heart in preaching on the Sunday, tired on a Monday, subject to the devil's attacks. Something to watch out for. Following a blessed experience, a high experience, you can be sure that the devil will be there waiting for an opportunity to get at you and to destroy you if he possibly can. Satan attacks him. He hears this death threat from Jezebel. Fear takes hold of him. Hopelessness and despair. He thought he had achieved so much. And now he feels he's achieved nothing. He thought he had all Israel behind him. And that it was the beginning of a revival. A wonderful reformation. And now he feels alone. Isolated. In danger of his life. I'm on my own. There's so few. I'm in the minority. And they seek my life to destroy it. And so he flees for his life. Flees down south from Israel. Into the kingdom of Judah. But he can't even rest in Judah. He leaves a servant at Beersheba. And he goes into the wilderness. Into the Sinai desert. A day's journey till he is exhausted and sits down under a juniper tree and prays to God that he might die. It's interesting that this is the one prayer that God didn't answer. Every other prayer, when he prayed for the rain to stop, when he prayed for the rain to start, when he prayed for the fire to come, every other prayer God answered. But when he prayed to die, he didn't die. And in fact, he never died. When he came to the end of his life here, God took him to heaven in a chariot of fire, body and soul. He prays to die. He can see no future for himself and no future for the cause of God. Where is God? Why, Lord? What are you doing about your church? What future is there for the covenant people? What's the point of life? I'm a failure. I've tried my hardest, but I've achieved nothing. 
I resign, I give up, I despair. Is there a God? Does God care? Maybe I've never been converted. Maybe I've never known God. It's amazing how these doubts can come in, one on top of another. The darkness, the despair. It seems that the end has come. We have here a despairing prophet. You know what it is to be depressed, to be dark, to be despairing, to want to die, to end it all. A terrible experience to go through. But next we see here a comforting angel. I think we often forget the ministry of angels. God has given to angels a care for his people. They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. Angels are servants to God's people. And wherever God's people are, the angels are there. The angels are here tonight. Yes, there's angels in this church. That's why the Apostle Paul says to women in 1 Corinthians 11 to cover their heads because of the angels in public worship. The angels are there. And they expect this to be done. Wherever we go, the angels are there. Remember Jacob, how he left home. He left his father, the patriarch Isaac, behind him. And you can imagine him setting off for Padanaram. All he had was his staff in his hand, walking these hundreds of miles to Padanaram. His brother determined to kill him. He himself feeling guilty, no doubt, because of the way that he had lied in order to get the blessing. And after a day's journey, he comes to a place called Luz. And he lies down in the open field, gathers some stones for his not very comfortable bed. He's so tired he falls asleep under the canopy of heaven. And while he sleeps, he has a dream. He dreams that heaven is open and there's a ladder stretching up to heaven. And there's angels of God going up and down this ladder. Notice it's up and down, not down and up. Up and down. They're already with him. He's left home. He's left the church, as it were, behind. But the angels are with him. And he sees, he gets this vision of the ladder and the angels who are with him going up to heaven and others coming down with messages from heaven to him. What an encouragement. And when he wakens up, he calls the place Bethel, the house of God. There's no more than the house of God and the gate of heaven, he said. And he made his covenant with God that day, you remember. Promising to serve God 
if God would be with him, and God was with him. And later on, 20 years later, when he was returning from Laban with his flocks and his herds and his family, he had another vision of angels. He met a troop of angels. He called the place Mahanaim. God opens his eyes to see. He's not on his own. He's not going to face Esau on his own. There's a crowd of angels with him. How wonderful. But that's not just true of Jacob. That's true of you. There's angels looking after you. Not just one guardian angel, but many. He gives his angels charge concerning you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. How many accidents the angels keep us from. But more important still, how many attacks of Satan and of demons we're protected from because of angels surrounding us and protecting us. We have the ministry of angels, and it's a blessed ministry protecting us, caring for us, looking after us. And so we find here the prophet exhausted, falling asleep under the juniper tree, but the angels are there. And after he slept for a considerable period of time, an angel wakes him and says, Arise and eat. And there in front of him is a freshly baked cake, baked on coals and a cruise of water. And he eats the cake. And how nourishing it was, the best food ever, just exactly what he needed for his body. All the nutrients were in it. And he eats and he falls asleep again. And the angel leaves him for a while till his body rests. And then wakes him up again and says, arise and eat for the journey is too great for thee. And he takes the bread again and eats and drinks. And what nourishing food it was. It was. He goes on the strength of that food 40 days journey into the wilderness till he comes to the mountain of Horeb, the Mount of God, Mount Sinai, as it's called elsewhere. 40 days journey, the Israelites were 40 years in the wilderness. There's a significance in these 40 days, 40 years. He goes to Mount Horeb, to the Mount of God. Why? Because that's the place where God made his covenant with Israel. That's where they were formed into a nation and into God's church. God gave them his law, the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law. He gave them the gospel and these types that were all pointing to Jesus Christ and the death of the Messiah. God formed them into his people there. And does God break his covenant? Has God given up his people? No. God still keeps his covenant. God maintains his interest in his people. God loves his people. And God has guided Elijah back to the foundations, back to the basics, as it were, right back 
to Mount Sinai, where he had made his covenant with Israel, called here the Mount of God, where God had appeared to them in the past. Israel is God's people, God's covenant people, and God is faithful to his covenant. I will never leave you nor forsake you. No, never. Can a mother forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion upon the son of her womb? Yea, even they may forget, yet will I never forget you, saith the Lord. I have engraved you upon the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. How wonderful is God's love. How faithful he is to his covenant. How caring he is for his people. Satan won't win. Baal won't triumph. God reigneth. Let the earth be glad. A comforting angel then to strengthen Elijah. And then finally, a God who reveals himself. Elijah came and lodged in a cave on Mount Sinai. And as he sits down in the cave, he hears a voice. What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And God says to him, go and stand and see God as God passes by. Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord and behold the Lord pass by. And we're told that there was a great wind, a hurricane so powerful that it tore the rocks out of their places. But God was not in the wind. And then after the wind, there was an earthquake. And you can imagine the whole place shaking. I remember talking to a friend of mine who had been in the middle of an earthquake in uh, Peru. And he spoke about how frightening it was. The whole house shaking, the ground under your feet shaking running out of the house and the ground trembling under his feet and moving up and down. Terribly frightening. God was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, a fire from heaven, terrible lightning coming around him. Fire everywhere. But God was not in the fire. And then a still, small, What a contrast. All this noise of the wind, 
the drama of the earthquake and the fire, and that small voice, but so powerful, so authoritative, so convicting. And what did the prophet do? He hid his face in his mantle. He was so convicted of the glory of God, of the presence of the one in who, before whom he was standing. And he covered his face. And God said to him, what dost thou hear, Elijah? And he replied as he had done before. I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Thrown down thine altars. Slain my prophets with a sword. And I, even I only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. What does God say to him? God says to him, go, return the way of the wilderness of Damascus and anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, the place of Ben-Hadad, and anoint Jehu to be king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, to be prophet in thy place. Remember, Hazael been anointed. It was actually Elisha who carried it out, that anointing. You remember how he wept in the face of Hazael. Why? Because Elisha could see how Hazael would horribly and cruelly massacre the Israelites. Jehu anointed over Israel. Jehu would bring about a revolution. The destruction of Ahab and his family. And then Elisha, the son of Shaphat, to take Elijah's own place. Elijah was looking for God to act in his time and in his way. But God has his own way of acting. You and I can sometimes think God's got to do this or got to do that and it's got to happen now. We're very impatient. And we're told, be still and know that I am God. Wait upon the Lord. For they that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Give God his place. God knows best. Leave God on the throne. Don't be trying to take the throne over yourself. God says to him, 
Go, anoint Hazael, king over Syria, anoint Jehu, king over Israel, and Elisha to be prophet. God has a plan. God knows what he's doing. Trust God. You said, I only am left alone and they seek my life to destroy it. No, 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 no. Elisha, Elijah, you're wrong. I have yet 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Sometimes you and I feel the church is getting so small today. But God is his people. God is his elect. Here in Stornoway, in Glasgow, right across the world, God is his elect. I have yet reserved unto me 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal whose lips have not kissed the idol Baal. Here's a message then for the downcast, the depressed. Look up. See God on the throne. Be patient. Let God rule. Let God work out his plan. You get on and do what God is telling you to do. And one day you'll see God's great end. One day, every single one of his elect will be saved. One day, the devil will be totally destroyed. One day, the kingdom shall come. One day, we will be more than conquerors through him who loved us. And gave himself for us. And so, with regard to the church, we are to encourage ourselves in God who reigns. With regard to our own circumstances, in our own homes and families, whatever our problems and discouragements, look up. Whatever our health problems are, trust God. He knows what he's doing. And he's given us a promise. He says, All things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his electing purpose. All things, and all things mean all things. There's nothing that happens that happens for our good if we're children of God. Everything is for our good. Everything's working together for our good. We're on the winning side. We're more than conquerors. But if you're not a Christian tonight, nothing's working for your good. And nothing will ever work for your good. Everything's against you. There are lots of promises in the Bible. But there's not one promise in the Bible for the unbeliever. Not one. As long as you continue in unbelief, you are under God's wrath and curse. That's why you must repent. Turn from your sins. Believe the gospel. Receive Christ as your Savior. Flee to him tonight. Ask him into your heart and life. 
Don't give up till you have Christ. And having Christ, you have the key to this life. And you have the answer for all eternity. Let's pray. O oh Lord, our oh God, we thank thee for the great promises of Scripture that are there for everyone who loves the Lord and believes in him. We thank thee for the way that thou didst deal with Elijah long ago and the lessons that we can learn today. Help us to see God, to see the invisible God, to see the God who is reigning in heaven, to think and meditate on the glory of God, on the plan of God, on the success of God. Help us to realize that Satan is defeated and finished. That the world and its worldliness is condemned. And that the church of God is precious to the Lord. And blessed forever. Encourage us in thyself. And forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs>